Have you ever felt like it's not worth following Jesus? Have you ever been in that place where there were so many trials and events in your life? You question, does Jesus even love me? Why is he allowing me to go through these trials, through these circumstances? Perhaps you've struggled with disappointment. Like before the Christian life, somehow my life felt better. And in those experiences, we often wonder, why do I follow Jesus? This morning our text answers that question simply, yet forcefully. And so if you would, turn to John chapter 10. If you have a digital sword, great. If you have your regular sword, open it up. There's notes I've given you this morning. There's a lot of scripture we're going to cover. Please take advantage. If you don't have a pen, if you have a smartphone, if you have a droid, I know you can do that. If not, sorry, Apple. Um, but I, you can take notes with your phone. It's great. There's a lot of scripture. I'm going to move swiftly through it, yet accurately. So, so here we go. Since Jesus is a good shepherd, he laid down his life for his sheep. You would be crazy not to follow after him. This is the thought. This is where we are when we look at John chapter 10 and the good shepherd. Now Jesus is speaking to a mixed crowd here. The Pharisees were there. We also know, we've, we've learned that uh, Jesus, the man that Jesus uh, healed from the blind, is also there. Um, the Gentiles are there. Believers are there. And so in this, Jesus' words, he aimed to do three things here. To warn them, he aimed to instruct them, and he aimed to assure them. And he warned them about the false teachers, the false shepherds. He warned them not to follow them, not to follow after them. He instructed them that he himself is the good shepherd and that in him all things are good and to follow after him. And he also assured us that his sacrificial love and his care for his sheep will be accomplished. And so I believe that the scripture here has five truths about Jesus as the good shepherd. Point number one of your outline is this. It says, the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep, but the higher hand has no concern for the sheep. Look at me in verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is the fourth time that Jesus claimed I am in the Gospel of John. The first time in chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. And then in chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And then in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. And then here in verse 11 in chapter 10 and in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Four times in these verses we repeat, and then we'll see in verse 11, We'll see in verse 15, also in 17 and 18, that he laid down his life for his sheep. And the first two times he repeats that for the sheep, the last two times he does what? He lays down his life so that he can take it up again. Amen? The resurrection. And so we could spend a whole week on this, on this section, and we're going to try to break it down for you. The first point under the first 
The phrase here is that Jesus' death was selfless. While Jesus set his sight on the joy before the throne, faced the cross in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fixing his eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Paul says this in Romans 5, 8, 7 and 8, For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus voluntarily died for you. Understand that word, voluntarily. He died for you. He gave up his life, and then he takes it back again. He raised up his life. It was voluntary in the obedience to the Father. And look in verse 11. I love this because this word translated good here. It means excellent or beauty. In verse 11 it says the good shepherd or the excellent shepherd or the beautiful shepherd gave his life to rescue us from God's what? Judgment. He gave his life. So he's the good shepherd. He is the selfless shepherd. Point two is this, that Jesus' death was sacrificial. That he laid down his life for his sheep. That he died in our place. And so he alone, because he lived the perfect life, is qualified. Is qualified to lay down his life. Look, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, He who made him who knew no sin be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God imputed our sins to Christ and Christ's righteousness to us. Wow. What a verse. Do you live as the glory of God? Or do you live for yourself? This is what the Good Shepherd does. He sacrificially gave his life so that we could be the righteousness of God. And how are we the righteousness of God? Through Christ who lives within us. So good. Point number three is that Jesus' death was specific. He laid down his life for the sheep. He expresses this in another term in Ephesians 5.25 and he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The sheep are those whom the Father gave to the Son, whose names were written in the book of life foundation of the world look at John 6 37 if you're taking notes he says all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I certainly am not cast out and then he adds in verse 39 this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me I lose nothing but I raise it up on the last day and then in chapter 10 verse 36 he tells the Pharisees but you do not believe because you are not my sheep He does not say, you are not my sheep because you you do not believe. Listen to what he says. Rather, he reverses. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So the determining factor is whether you are Jesus' sheep or not. That's the determining factor. Jesus came to die for the redeemed. And he did not fail in his mission. He did not fail in his attempt. And so too often, 
the misunderstood and the attack because of this, because we assume that Jesus died only for a sheep, we often we can often misunderstand the gospel to all people. And there's a false accusation out there. Listen to what John 1 says. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus is the Savior of the world in John 4.42. And also in Revelation, we see this at the end of the book when he writes the last, he pins almost the last letters. It says, The Spirit and the Bride says, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost, Come. Come all. Come all. Don't get confused by the misconception of the world that only certain people can come to the Father. But it's all. All is available for all. He died for all. And so the truth in no way limits the invitation to all the people in the world to be saved. Jesus actually did die for all our sins and for all His sheep. And He promises, this is, I love this, there's the promise that He will not even lose one. And we see this in chapter 6, verse 39. We see it also in chapter 10, verse 28. And the truth assures us as believers, just like we read in Ephesians 1 this morning, that if you believe in Christ, you are the sheep to whom He died. And He promises to take you into eternity. And His purpose will not fail. Will not fail. So Jesus died for a reason. It was specific. It was for His sheep. And last, Jesus' death was successful. It was successful. Just as we saw in John 6.39, it says, This is the will of Him who sent me, that all that has given me I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. It's also in our text in verse 17 and 18 when we get there, when Jesus repeats it twice, not only that He laid down His life, but He also will take it up again. Many have claimed that He will lay down His life, but Jesus is the only one, only one who legitimately can do that. No one else can. We can lay down our lives for someone, but we cannot take it up again. Jesus was successful in his resurrection. As Romans 4.25 says, But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So the good shepherd, Jesus, lays down his life for his sheep. And it was successful. And here's the second half of that claim is that we said that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life, yet here's the second part. Part B, it says, The hired hand has no concern for the sheep, but abandons them to save his own life. There are wolves out there. Listen to verse 12 with me, chapter 10. He who is the hired hand and not the shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, and the sheep flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Jesus is contrasting his own sacrificial love here with the care for Israel in whom he calls the hired hand who only cares for themselves. The difference is is that Jesus, what, owns his sheep. 
How does He own us? Through the blood, through the sacrifice. He bought us with a price. Yet the hired hand didn't. And so the hired hand, when he sees, he runs. When he fears, he runs. Jesus protects, gives his life. He loves. He does not pack up and leave. Look at verse 28 in chapter 10. It says this, I've given eternal life to them that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The good shepherd will not abandon you, but the higher hand will. He will pack up and leave. He will not protect you. He will not know you. But he will leave you. And so our point number two this is in our outline. It says, The good shepherd knows his sheep personally, and they know him. Verse 14, I am a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me. I know the Father, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. We see the same truth in John chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, where Jesus calls his own sheep by name, and he follows him because they know his voice. Each night, if you didn't know the sheep, when they came into the herd, the shepherd would check each one of them. He would observe them and see if there's anything, if there was wrong or they're hurt, if they needed care, if they needed attention. Each night, each sheep would come through, and he would inspect them. what Jesus does. He wants to know you personally. He's not the hired hand. He cares for you. He wants to know you. We use this term a lot here with the elders. We want to know our people. We want to know our sheep. We want to smell like our sheep. We don't want to be the hired hand. We want to care for you. We want to protect you. We want to love you and serve you. And that's what Jesus does. The good shepherd knows his sheep personally. So the comparison here with the relationship to our good shepherd is reciprocal. And so it says here that I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me. It's not trying to compare us to the Father, obviously, because their relationship is perfect. And there's a barrier between us because we're finite, because we have sin. But Christ does love us. And this is what he says in Matthew. And the, and the crucial part is this at the end when he talks about Matthew. He says, do we know him and it says this in verse 23, in Matthew 7, 23, it says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He knows all people. The Good Shepherd knows all people. Point number three, the Good Shepherd has other sheep that he must bring into the flock. Verse 16 I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. This is also a remarkable verse, and we could spend hours sitting here with this verse. But Jesus was referring to the Gentiles who at that time were outside the fold of Israel. And so he states that it is necessary, or if you read in verse 16, that he must bring them in certain... um, and he must bring them, and certainly that they will hear his voice and then become one flock with one sheep. This is the missionary mandate that Jesus later gives in the what? The Great Commission. We see it in Matthew 28. Go therefore, make disciples. And Jesus promises the success of the mission. Look at verse 16. He says, they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one 
shepherd. He promises success if we're obedient. If we're obedient to Christ. This ties to what we see in verse 11 earlier. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus did not die in vain. His death to secure the salvation of his sheep was strongly asserted. And he will succeed. There's no uncertainty or desperation in his voice when we read this in verse 16. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, I hope that these other sheep will listen to my voice because I really want them to be part of the flock. But it's really up to them to decide, right? We don't, do we see that in Scripture? Look at the certainty when we read verse 16. He says, the Father gave them to Jesus. He died for them. And they will hear him, and it will come into his flock. Look at verse 16, and we'll read it to you. I have other sheep which are in the fold, and I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Sometimes those who deny the biblical truth of God's sovereignty and the election and, and effectual grace argue that why do we evangelize? Why do we send missions? What's the point? And this is the point. This is the biblical answer. It says this, because God ordained the means as well as the end. And that word means, if you don't know what it means, it's method. Uh, it's, it means an agency. I love this. It also means the way. And so the means is the way, which is Christ. And the end is also Christ. So God ordained it. For whatever reason, in our minds, we are people that want to rely on the scientific method to figure God out. Instead of walking by faith and confidence in the word that he's given us and is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want the scientific method. We want to understand it. We want to reason. I love what Anthony Hokum says. He says, if we wish to understand the scriptures, we must accept the concept of paradox believing that what we cannot square with our finite mind is somehow harmonized in the mind of God. And that word paradox, it means logically unacceptable, or it means uh, self-contradictory. And so we have to accept that. We have to accept that even though God knows all his sheep, we still have a mission. There's no excuse and so because we can't reason in our finite minds, it's okay. It's okay. Do the mission of Christ. Share the gospel. Serve the nations. Love the people. And forget about reasoning out why. Because it makes complete sense and it's in perfect harmony in the mind of God. And that's good enough. So trust me, when I try to reason things out, you know, it comes out pretty good most of the time. <laughs> Don't ask my wife. Um, <laughs> but we just can't do it. We can't have the mind of God. Scripture tells us that time and time again that His ways are greater than ours. Trust in His Word. Trust in His Word, even when it doesn't sit well in our souls, even though it turns in our stomach and we go, you know what, I don't know. You do know. The Word of God says it. Live it, breathe it, learn it. Point number four. 
the Father's love for the Good Shepherd. The Father loves the Good Shepherd because He lays down His life so that He may take it up again. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay down my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And verse 17 is a difficult one to understand because Jesus did not mean that he earned his Father's love. He's not saying this. He says, for, the reason, for this reason the Father loved me. It's not like he earned the love of the Father. Don't get that conception in your head. But it means this, and I'll put it this way. D.A. Carson says this in the Gospel according to John. He wrote this. It says, It is not that the Father withheld his love until Jesus agreed to give his love his life up on the cross. Rather, the love of the Father for the Son is eternally linked with the unqualified obedience of the Son to the Father, his utter dependence upon him accumulating in the greatest act of obedience now just before him, the cross. It's the cross. And so the Father's love was there. Jesus didn't obtain his love because of the act on the cross. It's always been there. And so, for example, just as I've loved Melissa for over ten years now, perhaps she does something that allows me to say, you know what, baby, I love you for that. That doesn't mean she earned my love. The love was already there. It's been there. But there was an act that, that welled that up inside of me to share that with her. So it's not as if I, she regains it every time. It's just always been there. It's always been there. But the main point is that Jesus is making here, that is death. Look at Acts 4.27. Taking notes, Acts 4.27. This is the main point. This is where it all comes back. And he says, for this reason, it says in verse 27, For truly the city there were gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. The sinners who crucified Jesus were responsible for their sin, but at the same time, God used them to fulfill his purpose. He used them to fulfill their purpose so that he could save his sheep. And that's where it comes back. Remember that word voluntary? He laid down his life. Pilate, Herod, Gentiles, Israel, they didn't take his life. They were just a means to the end. Isn't that good? God is good. And so, the good shepherd lays down his life so that he can take it up again, so that he can be glorified in his resurrection. Point number five is this. Since the only options or that the good shepherd is either crazy or God, you'd be crazy not to follow him. Look what Jesus says. His teaching once again causes division. In verse 19, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. He says because of these words, in verse 17 18, remember what he just said. He says that no one has taken it away from me, but it laid down on my own initiative. This is why they're offended, because it's, he's, he's establishing his authority. 
And so in verse 19, he said, the division calls again because of what he just said. It's by my authority that God has given me, and not by you. And so because of these words, in verse 20, many of them were saying, he has a demon, and it's the same. Why do you listen to him? But others were saying, they were not saying, uh, these are not the sayings of a demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And so some blasphemously argued that he had a demon and was insane. Yet others, in verse 21, we just read, occurs, it says, well, how can he be demon-possessed and yet heal the blind? Can that even happen? And so they're, they're on the right track. They're realizing that they're moving in the right direction, that Jesus is not this insane man. And so the only other option is, is that he's the Christ. It's the only other option. He's either insane or he's God. He's either crazy or he's God. And his eternal word in human flesh. And look at John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he saw his glory and the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Two things prove that Jesus could not be crazy. Two things when we look at the scripture. is his words and his work. Look in the scripture. It says, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. This is words. The words that he spoke. And also the way that he lived, his works. It says a demon man cannot open the eyes of the blind. He cannot. And so if we study the words of Jesus and his works recorded in the Gospels, and we pray, Lord, show me the truth about Jesus and I will obey you, and he will answer in John seven seventeen, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teachings, whether it is of God or whether I speak myself. You cannot play games with God. And the key factor here is, listen to this, this is the key factor. Are you willing to follow Jesus if the evidence are revealed that He is God? Are you willing to follow Jesus if the evidence prove that He is God? Pharisees weren't. They were trying to reason it in their minds. They were trying to challenge the good shepherd. So John is saying, since the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, he's saying that you would be crazy not to follow after him. And as the band makes their way back up, we conclude, we come back to the original question, and we think, why follow Jesus? Why do I follow Jesus in this life of crazy circumstances and persecution? That my following Him somehow produces more trials in my life? That somehow my following produces more persecution in my life? Somehow my following Him produces suffering? Why do I follow Him? And I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 73, 13, as he battled with the same things. He battled with seeing wicked people do wicked things. And he writes this, he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And he's crying out and he's pinning this letter. And the answer comes to him as he's sitting in the sanctuary of God and he's considering eternity. 
And in verse 26, Psalm 73, he writes, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you hear that? It says, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The abundant life that Jesus gives consists of having God Himself as our portion both now and forever. Both now and forever. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. That is why we follow Christ. He laid down His life for you and me. And not only did He lay it down, that He raised back up. And that He loved us. So when times are tough and we don't understand, God is so good. He's so good. Let me pray. Father, God, we thank You that You are the Good Shepherd. We thank You that You have invested in us, that You've purchased us, and that You own us. And that You are not like the hired hand. That You not run and flee. That You protect and You serve and You love and You know us. We thank You for that. Father, I pray, God, that when our life is so inconsistent and when our mind starts to wonder and question why, that we come back to the foundational truth that you are the good shepherd and that your word is true and that your promises are true. So God, protect our mind and our heart with your words, with your scripture. Instill it in us that it is so good. And even when our minds can't wrap, it or wrap around the thought and process it, it's okay. Because it makes sense to you. It makes sense to you. God, strengthen our faith in our shepherd, our one shepherd. And Father, allow us to be a flock falls in love with our good shepherd. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. During this response time, this is a time that we want to encourage you guys to respond to the Holy Spirit in whichever way. There's no structure to this. Pray together. Encourage each other. There's a big part of sheep that I hope you understand that they, they live together in what? In flocks. They're not on themselves. They're not by themselves. If they're by themselves, what happens? They get hurt. They get killed. They get scarred. So as we gather together as sheep, as we gather together as a flock, we're here to love and encourage each other. And that is a huge part of what we do as a church, as a body of believers, to show unity to a broken world that lives on their own. So just as the Good Shepherd watches over us as a flock, we also watch over each other within the herd. We must love and encourage each other. So during this time, feel free to move. Feel free to fall on your face, pray. Come talk to me, Kate. It doesn't matter. Be obedient to the Father. Be obedient to the Spirit of God in you. And respond.